we use this idea of we are children of God adopted in his family. We are heirs of Christ. This is the language you hear. And we're drawing on our experience here on earth of parents and being children and being raised by parents and provided for and cared for. We use that to apply it to God to help us understand our relationship with him. Here's how the scriptures in a couple places use this idea of adoption. Um, Paul wrote to the Galatians, but when when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Also, excuse me, John writes in similar language, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So in November, we've been talking about this series, Orphan to Heir, which draws on this image of adoption where we are orphans adopted into God's family, and yet sometimes we still live like we are orphans. You know, in the past few weeks, Susie has talked about this movement from orphan to heir, from isolation to intimacy, and so on. And today we're talking the move from being weak to warrior. If you think about the idea of an orphan, an orphan is weak. And their weakness is because they are alone. You know, there's no one to protect her, no one to care for him, no one who's fending for her. He has to provide for his own needs. And in that is the weakness. But this move from weak to warrior, as a child of God, as an heir of Christ, is that we also have weakness, but we have a provider in God that we have God's strength to meet us in our weakness. That we are not alone because we are a part of God's family. We have a father who loves us, who cares for us, and wants to meet us. So the first step, of course, in moving from orphan to heir is to receive Jesus. Just as John writes, to receive Jesus, to believe in him, and to be adopted into the family of God. That's that first step, that Jesus changes our status from orphan to heir. And if you've not taken that first step, please accept Jesus' invitation to believe in him, to receive him, and be adopted into the family. And then the second step, which is more of a continual walk with God throughout the rest of your life, next step. But the next step is to live as a child of God, to embrace the fullness of being an heir of Christ. And it seems that one of the the places where we tend to more easily embrace being a child of God is when we experience weakness. You know, when we feel weak or vulnerable or we feel like we are not enough, those are the moments where we open up to God. You know, maybe we feel independent and on our own and secure by ourselves, but in that moment of weakness, we tend to open up to God that we need him, and we then look to him to receive his strength and provision. So if you think about the difference between an orphan 
and an heir, the weakness is the same. The only difference is this outside source of strength and provision that the heir has. You know, the orphan has nowhere to turn, no one to go to, but the heir has God to look to, to be comforted by and be provided by. Well, I heard a very strange flower shop story this past week, and I'd like to invite some readers up to help me read this story. It, it, it seems so important to me that we are including it this morning with a little reader's theater. But perhaps the primary way that we embrace being an heir and child of God is through thankfulness. You know, Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians. <clears throat> Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you ever wonder what God's will is for your life? Here's what it is. Give thanks in all circumstances. And all is a very encompassing word, isn't it? Well, we have this story, and I'm the narrator. Susan is the flower shop clerk. Susie is the first customer. Chuck and Vaughn are second and third customers. Join us in hearing this story. Susie felt as low as the heels of her shoes when she pulled open the flora shop door against a November gust of wind. Her life had been as sweet as a spring breeze. And then, in the fourth month of her second pregnancy, a minor automobile accident stole her joy. And this was Thanksgiving week, and the time she should have delivered their infant son. She grieved over their loss. The troubles had multiplied. Her husband's company threatened to transfer his job to a new location. Her sister had called to say that she could not come for her long-awaited holiday visit. And what's worse, Susie's friend suggested that Susie's grief was a God-given path to maturity that would allow her to empathize with others who suffer. And Susie thought to herself, she has no idea what I'm feeling. Thanksgiving, what for? Thankful for what? For a careless driver whose truck had hardly scratched when the rear ended her? For an airbag that saved her life but took her child's? Good afternoon. Can I help you? I, uh, I need an arrangement. For Thanksgiving? I'm convinced that flowers tell stories. Are you looking for something that conveys gratitude for uh, this Thanksgiving? No, not exactly. The last five months, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. I have the perfect arrangement for you. Then the bell of the door rang, and the flower shop lady greeted a new customer. Hi, Vaughn. Let me get your order. Do you want these in a box? Yes, please. She excused herself and walked back to a small workroom, then quickly reappeared, carrying an arrangement of greenery, bows, and what appeared to be long-stemmed, thorny roses except the ends of the rose stems were neatly snipped. There were no flowers. Susie watched. Was this a joke? Who would want rose stems with no flowers? She waited for laughter, but neither woman laughed. You'd think that after three years of getting the special, I wouldn't be so moved by its significance. But I can feel it right here all over again. Uh, that lady 
just left with, well, she left with no flowers. That's right. I cut the flowers off. That's the special. I call it the Thanksgiving Thorns Bouquet. Vaughn came into the shop three years ago feeling much as you do today. She thought she had very little to be thankful for. She had just lost her father to cancer. The family business was failing. Her son had gotten into drugs and she was facing major surgery. That same year, I had lost my husband. For the first time in my life, I had to spend the holidays alone. I had no children, no husband, no family nearby, and too much debt to allow any travel. Ugh, sounds horrible. What did you do? I learned to be thankful for the thorns. I've always thanked God for the good things in my life, and I never questioned him why those good things happened to me. But when the bad stuff hit, I cried out, why? Why me? It took time for me to learn that the dark times are important to our faith. I've always enjoyed the flowers of my life, but it took the thorns to show me the beauty of God's comfort. You know, the Bible says that God comforts us when we're afflicted. And from his consolation, we learn to comfort others. I guess, truth be known, I don't really want comfort. I mean, I just lost a baby. I'm angry with God. Just then, someone else walked in the shop. Hey, Chuck. Hey there. My wife sent me in to get our usual Thanksgiving arrangement. Twelve thorny long stem stems. Those? <laughs> those are for your wife? Uh, do you mind telling me why she wants a bouquet that looks like that? Well, four years ago, my wife and I nearly divorced. After 40 years, we were in a real mess. But with the Lord's grace and guidance, we trudged through problem after problem. The Lord rescued our marriage. Susan here told me she kept a vase of rose stems to remind her of what she had learned from those thorny times. That was good enough for me. I took home some of those stems. My wife and I decided to label each one for a specific problem and give thanks for what that problem taught us. I highly recommend the special. Wow. I don't know, to be honest, I don't know that I can be thankful for thorns in my life. I mean, it's just, I guess it's all too fresh. Well, my experience has shown me that the thorns make the roses more precious. We treasure God's providential care more during trouble than any other time. Remember that it was the crown of thorns that Jesus wore so that we might know his love. Don't resent the thorns. Tears rolled down Susie's cheeks. For the first time since the accident, she loosened her grip on her resentment. All right. I'll take those 12 long stem thorns, please. I hoped you would. I'll have them ready in a minute. Thanks. What do I owe you? Nothing. Nothing but a promise to allow God to heal your heart. The first year's arrangement is always on me. I'll attach this card to your arrangement, but maybe you'd like to read it first. And it read, My God, I've never thanked you for the thorns. I've thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but never once for my thorns. Teach me the glory of the cross I bear. Teach me the value of my thorns. Show me that I have climbed closer to you along the path of pain. Show me that through my tears, the colors of your rainbow look much more brilliant. Praise him for the roses. Thank him for the thorns. Ah, thank you, readers. And thank you, author unknown. I don't know what your thorns are. I want to tread very carefully this morning into this topic because 
some of you are probably feeling like Susie, where everything is going wrong, and you have nothing to be thankful for. And I can't really say anything to that, but God can, and God wants to meet you right where you are. So let's pause once again and pray. Heavenly Father, in our hurts, in our pains, the things that are not going as we expected or as we wanted, as we feel weak, vulnerable, and incapable of fixing what is broken, we come to you this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to encourage us and to give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Amen. Well, the thankful for the thorns story makes it very clear that it's easy to be thankful for the roses. It's easy to be thankful for our blessings. But the harder work is to be thankful for the thorns. And isn't that true? That everyone is thankful for good things happening. Even the definition of thankfulness is for good things. So Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines thankfulness as, you know, thankfulness is being appreciative of benefits received. Thankfulness is affording pleasure or contentment. Thankfulness is pleasing by reason of comfort supplied or discomfort alleviated. You know, that's our common idea of thankfulness, and anyone can develop thankfulness in their life. And that's a good thing. There's a positive benefit for being thankful. But what turns thankfulness upside down is when we are thankful for the thorns. And the uniqueness of being a Christ follower, the uniqueness of being adopted into the family of God, is that our thankfulness is not dependent on our circumstances. Our thankfulness is not only for the blessings and the benefits received, but our thankfulness is simply that God knows us. God loves us. God cares for us, that he wants to provide. So what happens when you are not pleased? What happens when you are not relieved? When no comfort comes and discomfort continues with no alleviation? To be thankful for the thorns comes from such a deeper place than merely circumstances going in our favor. Thankful for the thorns is turning our thankfulness toward God and simply being thankful that he knows us, that he loves us, that he's adopted us into his family, and that we can then turn to him to receive the comfort we need in any circumstance. Well, I have been very fascinated by a person I've been reading about lately named George Washington Carver. Um, Here's George Washington Carver. And he was a former slave who became one of America's greatest scientists, which you just think about that in and of itself, that here's this guy who began in utter weakness and oppression and rose to a place where he would be declared one of America's greatest. But what I read about Carver that was fascinating was that he held over 1,000 patents for peanuts. If you just think about 1,000, that's a pretty big number, and you think about peanuts, what can you possibly be doing with peanuts? But he had 1,000 patents for peanuts. And somebody asked him, 
hey, how did you come up with so many patents and things to do with peanuts? And he responded that he held a peanut in his hand, and he said, God, you made every seed-bearing plant, and you said they were good. What did you make the peanut for? So what captured my imagination about that is here is George Washington Carver solving a problem, having a weakness that he doesn't know what to do, and he turns to God for help. He brings his problem to God and simply says, help me. You know, what is the first thing you do when a problem comes your way? When you have a problem that you need to deal with, what do you do? Do you pull out your list of resources and think about your educational background, things you have help you or your experiences that you can bring to use to solve this problem? Or do you think about people you know who are experts you can call to help you? You know, what does it look like to turn to God and say, God, here's my problem. Help me. You know, have you ever thought to imagine holding in your hand your problem and say, God, what did you make the peanut for? Or, what do you want me to do in this situation? Or, God, help me see what I cannot see right now. Give me your wisdom into this situation. You know, I was reminded in one of our small groups recently about a simple practice related to this turning to God to be reminded of his presence in our life and his wanting to be a part of what we are doing and his willingness to provide for us. It's simply a practice where before you go into a hard conversation, um, and it doesn't actually have to be a hard conversation, it could be any conversation, but the hard conversations definitely seem more desperate for God to join you in it. But before you go into that conference room for that meeting or before you pick up the phone to make that phone call, to simply pause, <clears throat> take a moment to connect with God. It might be as simple as the prayer, Lord Jesus, I am here, you are here, let's do this together. Or it could be, Lord Jesus, my identity is in you. Whatever circumstance may happen, I am safe and secure in you. So please, put your love into my heart for this person. Put my love and care and compassion into my heart for this situation. And please guide this conversation. You know, a simple practice that keeps our hand open to receive from God provision from him that he wants to be a part of every small detail of our lives. Well, George Washington Carver is an excellent example of embracing being an heir, being a child of God, and looking to God for help. Carver learned to be thankful for, to God. He learned to look to God for help. And it wasn't something that happened overnight in his life. But it was a step-by-step -step journey of walking with God and embracing his adoption in the family of God and putting it into practice. Well, as we turn to the communion table this morning, I want to read a poem to help think a little bit more about being thankful. And this is also in the sermon notes if you are interested in seeing it there. But this poem, again, author unknown, Be Thankful. Be thankful that you don't already have 
everything you desire. If you did, what would there be to look forward to? Be thankful when you don't know something, for it gives you the opportunity to learn. Be thankful for the difficult times. During those times, you grow. Be thankful for your limitations. They give you opportunities for improvement. Be thankful for each new challenge, which will build your strength and character. Be thankful for your mistakes. They will teach you valuable lessons. Be thankful when you're tired and weary because it means you have given your all. It's easy to be thankful for the good things, yet a life of rich fulfillment comes to those who are thankful for the setbacks. Gratitude can turn a negative into a positive. Find a way to be thankful for your troubles, and they can become your blessings. Well, as we turn to the communion table, we're reminded that Jesus, facing perhaps the weakest moment of his life, gathered with his friends and broke the bread, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in memory of me. And after that supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink from this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim me until I come again. And we remember that Jesus left that meal and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he met with God to do the will of God, even though it was hard. But he drew strength because he looked to God to provide for him.